For Tandem Launch, I'm Jermaine Murray, and this is The Launch, a podcast all about tech startups. Today, Rick Ness is an investor with over three decades of experience. And while COVID-19 has proved to be an economic reckoning that most of the world hasn't seen before, in Rick's eyes, it's familiar ground. Rick provides insight on what startups can do to not only navigate and survive, but he also gives advice on how they can turn the situation into an opportunity. Your, your professional side of things, uh, looking through your profile and your background, you've, you've spearheaded and launched a number of different tech companies. But can you tell us a bit about how, uh, can you describe to us how Tactico came into into being, what you guys do and what everything was like before, uh, before and after COVID hit? Sure. Um, so I, I, tech entrepreneur is a, might be a bit of an exaggeration. I'm, uh, it's funny. I, I got to meet Helga at Tandem Launch at the Dobson uh, Center for Entrepreneurship at McGill. And Helga puts on this great chat about um, uh, startups in the future. Uh, it basically says, IT is everything. And if you're not a scientist, get up now and go to the admissions office and move into science. Um, I got up usually after him. And I said, look, I know nothing about science. I'm a hustler. I'm an entrepreneur. I get things done. And when it comes to the core science, I used to be a decent science student, but uh, the guys who wash the floor at Tandem Lunch know more about physics and, uh, and, and deep science than I do. So I've always been, um, you know, the, the guy who puts the business side of things together, finance and sales and stuff like that. My background is really finance. Uh, I grew up in the brokerage industry um, in the back office. My partner and I like to refer to ourselves as plumbers of finance. <laughs> so we, we didn't do investment banking and sales and stuff like that. I settled trades and uh, opened accounts and did the bookkeeping and everything that absolutely everything that's not sexy in the finance world. Um, and, you know, we were lucky to catch a revolution. You know, I, I joined the industry in the 80s when there was five back office employees for every front office employees. And by the time a couple of companies that I founded were finished, the industry and the high frequency trading revolution came and the discount brokerage revolution came, it had inverted. Uh, you know, in the 80s, there were no computers. And by the time there was 2000, we had five front office employees for every back office employees and millions of trades were being handled without any human intervention. So uh, we, we caught that ride and, you know, we built some companies. We were involved in high frequency trading business, what are called clearing firms. Um, ATS is the new version of exchanges. Um, we wrote trading engines. My partner did. He's, he's very good with that stuff. Um, we were involved in data businesses and all kinds of stuff, many, many different businesses. And, and with that, we gained a lot of experience. Um, you know, left that business before the last financial crash in 06, 07 timeframe, got into e-education and then started a consulting firm that would, we originally thought we'd do turnarounds. Uh, but what ended up is we'd, we'd usually be engaged in companies that needed to go to the next level. And uh, that, that meant, you know, we were part of a large acquisition of an e-education firm. It was a, you know, $165 million acquisition. We took it to the next level. And then we started uh, going deal to deal. And we got involved in all kinds of different businesses, everything from take it to the next level to turnarounds to startups. And uh, then we did a private equity fund, which went well. Um, and because of the types of deals we do, there wasn't a lot of institutional appetite. So we started going deal by deal. And that's where we are now. Um, in the deep tech stuff, I've known Hellgate for many years. I, I love his model. And my partner is on his uh, LPAC committee, his LP committee. And uh, I've co-invested in a lot of his deals. 
so is my partner, and, and our company has invested in all of the Tandem Launch funds. Amazing. So this this is actually a very interesting perspective, especially for a lot of our listeners. You've you essentially been in the finance and slash tech world since about the 80s. So you've seen a lot of different um, market volatility. I mean, I, I, I was born in the 90s and I remember the dot com crash. I remember the bit of a recession we had after 9-11 and then graduating in the 08 uh, recession. You know, you, you start to see almost like these historical patterns repeat themselves um, in in your, from your perspective. How is is the whole COVID-19 situation from a financial and a productive standpoint similar to what we've seen in the past? And are there going to be opportunities that we can probably anticipate for the future? So I'll I'll issue a warning. Um, uh, My friends laugh at me because I am always a market market skeptic. And uh, I I was a clerk in a back office earning $24,000 a year in October 1987 when I lost twice my annual salary in one day. So I am a student of the crashes. Um, Fortunately, I had no money. Uh, It was a very difficult day and a couple of months for me, but it was the cheapest and greatest lesson I've ever had. So I've missed many bull markets and I have never been caught in a bear market since because yes, these patterns repeat. You'll be staggered by how similar they are each time. So yes, I've lived through the 87 crash, the small cap crash of 94, the long-term capital crash of 98, the dot-com bubble crash of 2000, uh, the 07, it actually started in 07, but people call it the 08 financial crisis, um, and many other mini crashes in between, 2010, when the world thought Societe Generale was going under. So they often uh, face a very, very standard pattern. And I'll, I'll be frank, my favorite market pundit to watch is a guy named um, Art Cashin, who's the director of floor operations for UBS. He's always on CNBC. And he has an encyclopedic memory for the markets. So when people say, well, Art, what was happening you know, last time this market high happened in 1939? And he always has it off the top of his head. Um, and the one right now to look at is, you know, what kind of crash is this? Is this an 87 crash where top to bottom uh, happened in three weeks? And, uh, you know, top to new top happened in three months. Uh, it's not 87, I can tell you that. Uh, my view is it's more of a 29 crash. Uh, you know, the, the 29 crash was the excess of a long bull market, a speculative bubble, um, and, and it faced real dis- demand side uh, drastic drops in the real economy. And it had uh, tremendous double digit unemployment. And that unemployment caused further demand drop, which caused a deep recession. So, you know, in 87, the top to bottom on the day was about 20%. Uh, it was mostly back by November 1st, two weeks later, and it was completely back three months later. Uh, the bottom of the 29 crash was in 1932. And top to bottom was 89%. How did you build the stomach and the tolerance for this to still be investing in like 20 in 2020 uh, and prior to like, or sorry, I should say we have a lot of listeners that are trying their best to be attractive as possible to investors. And there's a lot of fear going on between all the stuff that preceded COVID-19, you know, uh, SoftBank having to rework WeWork, for instance, uh, Uber and and a bunch of IPOs going up. Uh, A lot of people are now afraid that the 
the will for angel investors or for investors in general to uh, put money within tech startups has dried up. Is that the case or do you see uh, another boon happening after we, we get out of this, uh, I guess, this this valley that we're in? Yeah. So my quick answer is no, absolutely not for your audience. Um, so you got to remember, I'm talking about the public markets previously, and you're talking about private startup. So, and there's been a massive rotation since the last financial crisis. So, um, you know, the, these big picture problems of dropping demand uh, and the industries that will possibly not survive uh, this crash, uh, the demand will come back and the demand will go somewhere. So if you're running a clothing store in a traditional mall, I hate to break it to you, but your life is over. It will, it will go under and the industry may never come back. Uh, all of your neighbors in the mall will probably go bankrupt. The mall will go bankrupt. And you know, what this COVID thing has done is it's accelerated a lot of um, previously existed existing trends, work from home, uh, buy everything from Amazon. And a lot of your crowd won't know this. I'm 55. So I still deal with people who, believe it or not, have never bought a thing from Amazon until this crisis. And once they discover that, they've accelerated a trend that we've seen for the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, so the news is if, if you're a traditional bricks and mortar retailer, you got a world of hurt coming to you. If, if you're running a mobile app that changes how retail works, that's the future. So there might be a couple of tough years, but that's, you know, that, that's just run of the mill. The, the world will survive. Things will come back. And for tech startups and startups in general, uh, focusing on the new, new world, I, I think there's better days ahead. These so-called acts of God seem to, or just unexpected downturns, seem to keep on happening. And a lot of people feel like their tolerance for taking these risks uh, from the, the side of a, a startup uh, founder is at a low because they're afraid that investors won't uh, essentially invest. But what you're saying is, as long as you're able to pivot and kind of stay flexible and adaptable for the future, this can turn into a great time of opportunity for you. 100%. 100%. And in fact, it's more likely because the the old bricks and mortar type businesses um, are the things that are being disrupted. And, and this is the renewal process that's part of capitalism, you know, uh, and if you're the new, new thing that's replacing uh, what was for the last 50 years, you're much better positioned than, than the poor person who owes money to rent to a mall, quite frankly. And, and financings are still happening. And, and even before COVID, there, there had been a shift taking place that the smart money had seen, you know, in, in the 1970s and 80s, if you wanted to buy the new, new thing, you went to the public markets and you bought an IPO in companies like Apple and Microsoft and even Intel, Pixar. And, you know, if you bought on IPO day and you held it to today, you're looking at well north of 100x return on your money. Uh, nowadays, does that happen? Uber went public at a market cap of 64 billion dollars. A 100x on Uber is more money than exists in the world. So something happened, you know, that magic growth period where the smart money gets in has all shifted to the private markets anyhow. So the private markets, sure, everybody's scared. The markets just got creamed. Uh, nobody's lining up to take a, a perceived risk. So yeah, it's been a little tough. And uh, I can mention we're actually closing a deal now. So financing still continues. Um, but 
I, I think it's just a rotation that's going on. So, uh, you know, startup founders are always going to face the same thing. It's a risk. I mean, trust me, it's a risk. Act of God. Everybody seems to think this pandemic is something new and they compare it to, wow, it's been so long since the Spanish flu. What about the pandemic of 57? Two million people died in that. And everybody seems to have forgotten that. Uh, they happen. If it's not a pandemic, it'll be a 9-11. If it's not 9-11, it'll be the war that followed it. If it's not that war, it'll be the Persian Gulf War of 92. Uh, things happen. It's it's a fact of life. It's a risk. When you decide to do a startup, that's what you're accepting. You're taking a risk. If the risk pays off, you'll be a wealthy person. Uh, if it doesn't, you're going to start again. It'll be a little tough. It's, it's a, yeah. And I, you know, I know a lot of startup people don't do it to become rich necessarily. They're trying to do something special, but it is it is a risk reward profile. It's been true since the beginning of time. So in times like these, what if if I was a a startup founder and I came to you because I wanted an investment? What what are some of the things that you would need to see from me, especially in this kind of time climate that we're in, that would make me an attractive investor? or make my product attractive you know is it the same as before where you just have to identify a market and uh, a particular way you're going to serve that market or do you require more in order for someone to gain your bit of confidence yeah so it, it's it's um, a, a greater focus on the fundamentals so your value proposition the solution you're bringing to the problem you're solving is still core to the idea. Dumb ideas uh, will not get any money in this environment. Uh, I think the problem is in a frothy environment, dumb ideas get a better shake and and, and there's more to it shed over it. Valuations will drop. So, you know, this standard angel 2 million pre-seed, 8 million valuation, um, you know, series A, 20 million plus, I'm willing to bet those numbers go down. You know, so you might have to give away a little more of your startup to get your financing. Uh, but listen, good ideas will still get financed. Like I said, we're closing one right now, and and it's it's a it's a company that's thriving in the COVID environment. It's an online business of a traditional bricks and mortar thing, and people stuck at home had no choice, and their sales are skyrocketing, and they're definitely the future. A lot of jobs, a lot of companies are finding uh, the COVID-19 situation an opportunity to, again, either pivot into a, a response to service uh, the need um, or they're addressing consumer needs at home. Um, in, in your space where the deep technologies are concerned, is that a safer bet for investors or is that just, uh, again, it's the same as any other investment? You know, you got to weigh the risk with 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 the pros and the cons. Um, safer bet. Uh, you know, the immediate concern of everything needing to be delivered at home will abate. But I mean, the trend is there. So safer bet, I'm not, I, it's still deal by deal is probably the answer. I don't think there's any generic answer that crosses everything. You, and you have to look at the idea and how it'll fit in the post COVID world. Um, you know, but, but I see people that are uh, you know, re-engineering uh, their business plans that it doesn't seem sustainable, but addressing the future of people working at home uh, and supporting that trend I, I think you'll get a lot of traction. You'll have a lot of interest because I think it's here to stay. Interestingly enough, after 9-11, uh, similar things happened. I, I actually was on a plane probably a month after 9-11 with, with an investment banker. And he said, well, air travel's done forever. Who the hell's ever going to get on another airplane ever again? This is 2001, like November of 2001. Um, and 
And, and he said, well, we have to start investing in this new technology, this uh, conferencing technology. <laughs> okay. You know, the trend is there. He was a little ahead of his time. You know, you can make serious mistakes like that because, no, the world will retrace to a great extent to where it was before. I'm, I'm very confident of that. But there will be a new level uh, reached. And, and out of 9-11, all the conferencing technology that was created was the foundation of all of these platforms we're speaking on today, including this one. Um, you know, so the next time around, it'll just accelerate that that adoption. But a good idea is still a good idea. You know, I, I'm pretty sure Skype came out of a lot of that early stuff in the 2001 era. Yeah, I, I remember I was a, a big MSN Messenger user. Um, when you get the webcam and they're like, do you want to do the video chat? feels like you're on an episode of Star Trek. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but now what's happening is you've got the non-adopters have been forced. I mean, I, I could challenge you. Find me somebody in business who's over 60 years old who used uh, Zoom or uh, Microsoft Teams or Google Hangouts or any of them. I mean, there's dozens of them. Um, and, and you'll find that they went from non-adopters two months ago to it's part of their daily routine now. So, you know, that, that water level will rise and it'll never fall again. So those types of trends are, are, are ingrained. And that's why I say deal by deal. If you've got projects, uh, startups that are, are, are following a future trend, life just got better for you, actually. You know, uh, if, if you've got another way to support bricks and mortar retail and you're going to make it slightly more mobile or you have ad tech that'll help that. Well, I hope you can pivot because you know, the trend, the dying trend you were following has, you know, just put another foot in the grave. So let's, let's flip perspectives. Cause earlier you kind of hinted to this, you said, um, you know, things might be in more of a positive light towards like the startup founders, good ideas get funded. But from the finance side, it, it sounded like everyone's in like a world of hurt, whether it's how they view tech or just being closely associated with tech. There was always this, um, there was always this feeling, I almost want to say of arrogance with us in tech, where it was like, you know, they always said that the, the two, the industry that is um, untouchable in the sense of a recession or economic downturn is the entertainment industry. And because of the rise in the last decade, a lot of people said it's also the tech industry. Um, from a financer, from a financial standpoint, for someone working in finance, do you find that to be true? Or was that just uh, a statement that was just born out of ignorance? Uh, you got to be careful with the words recession proof. So there are recession proof companies, you know, and it, it is it is not what you think is most important. It's what people cannot live without. So food, uh, tobacco, alcohol, uh, <laughs> and the rest of it you're talking about. You know, entertainment is resilient because they have a very low cost um, basis, and 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 yeah, and entertainment is something people actually fundamentally do need so it'll bounce back quickly but uh, you know food will never stop uh, you know if it does it's you know a bigger problem than, than than just the market um so no i do not believe tech is is recession it also means what you mean by recession proof like never miss a week of revenues no their r&d will slow down uh, the focus if apple is not selling new handsets the technology that goes into those handsets are in for a few years where they're their land grab at the new, new thing to put into a handset will, will slow down at least. It may not stop. It'll probably never stop, but it will slow down. Um, but that said, I, I, you know, it, it, to me, it's a different world. Uh, I, I'm, as you mentioned, I'm with Soundscript. They are reinventing the microphone. I think they will. Um, you know, one year from now, two years from now, five years from now, 
will the world need a better microphone? Yes, of course it will. Are we still going to buy hundreds of millions of microphones a year? For sure. Um, is it impacting Soundscript right now? No, they're not a they're not a revenue firm right now. It's mostly an R and D project, so uh, uh, relatively untouched. I'm pretty sure the market will be back by the time we're ready to go to market uh, fully. Um, and uh, you know, this 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 will not really affect Soundscript. And if Soundscript was raising money today, it would probably be a little tougher. I don't know if valuations would be where they were last fall when we were doing it, um, but. I, I, it wouldn't be zero, you know, it'd be slightly disappointed. We'd have to do more with less, but uh, the project would still go forward and its future would be remarkably similar because it's not a short term project and it's not relying on people going to a movie theater or a sporting event right now either. So, you know, they're not counting. And that's one of the saving graces of, of startups. A lot of them, you know, their current revenues are not the most important thing. And one of the things you said is what advice would you give to startup uh, entrepreneurs? It's more of the same and, and focus on the fundamentals. And one of the big fundamentals is what's your runway and what's your burn rate. So there's going to be a big focus on trying to do more with less. If valuations go down, uh, startup entrepreneurs are going to get less cash for, for that, that portion of the company they sell. And they're going to have to make it go further. So there's going to be big focus on reducing burn and not being extravagant and being efficient with your cash burn. So the, uh, as a recruiter, one of, um, one of the attractive things about being a recruiter in a tech company is being able to sell talent on the idea that, you know, our culture is this, our culture includes that, you know, we go axe throwing every Wednesday, you know, free for beers, bar, etc. Um, just to make you feel more comfortable and at home. Um, so essentially would, you know, would I as a tech recruiter have to now worry about uh, potentially uh, that selling feature having to be drastically scaled back, whether it's because, um, you know, social and physical distancing practices are in play or just well, my company now has to be much more concerned with our overhead expenses. Um, do you feel like that is also going to uh, kind of reshape how companies go about scaling and and uh, scouting for top tier talent? Um, I don't know if you picked the right examples, you know, because uh, taking the team out for axe throwing is is a couple of bucks, and there is a limit to being penny wise and pound foolish. Um, you know, it, 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 where companies fall apart are long term big expenses. You know, going for the beautiful hip office. Um, and there's two trends there. So I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, do more with less. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a director of another company where uh, they've magically, they've always been bricks and mortar. They've always had the whole team under one roof. And they now have their development team working at a distance. And they're, they've been blown away. It's, it's so counterintuitive that their development team is actually twice as productive as they used to be. So they're going to be shedding office space. So they can give the dev team more and have more parties. And, you know, nobody, nobody got real enjoyment out of the office space they were using. And, you know, that's one of the big trends I think we're going to see is less office space, more acceptance of entire teams working from home. And listen, taking the whole team out for an axe throwing event, uh, you'll have trouble spending 500 bucks. And most people don't realize uh, the 10 by 10 piece of real estate you sit on in your daily basis in the office is costing $5,000 a year. So when you get rid of that real estate, you actually made your startup. I mean, it's a small example, but it's those types of trends. People are going to have to be smarter. Um, the reality is if you joined a company because of ax throwing, um, <laughs> 
it, you're, it's really culture, which comes down to the leadership. And if the leadership are transparent, open, empathetic, and true leaders, you don't need the axe throwing. You know, and and you know, the investors. This, the first thing I look at, uh, you know, excuse the language, but if if the founder's an asshole, I'm not invest, investing because they won't be able to attract talent. So uh, if somebody comes to Tandem Lunch personally, it's uh, an outsider looking in. If you meet Helge and aren't impressed you didn't look very hard, you know, and uh, whether he takes you axe or not, he's somebody you want to work with. He's got a track record of success. He's empathetic and he's a good people person and would be fun to work with. So uh, the reality is in the market, everybody's going to be cutting out the axe throwing. So there's going to be a greater emphasis on, you know, personality, uh, true leadership ability. Uh, and, and that'll still command a premium in, in, in the investing community. So this is an opportunity for leaders to step up and really build their culture around their personalities as long as they have those agreeable personalities. You know, I, it was actually pretty interesting. I was I was reading a report on, I, I believe it was Bloomberg, and it said that uh, millennials, especially ones that graduated around the 08 recession, are actually buying more into stocks, particularly tech stocks, um, than, you know, our predecessors were 10, 10 years ago. Do you think that's going to lead to um, more and younger, more millennials and younger people in general trying to get their arms into investing and potentially uh, angel investing and, and more into the VC side of things? I, I don't know if that'll be a societal trend. I mean, I, I know from business school experience. So I mentioned Dobson before. That's where I met Helge. Um, you know, it, it's it's McGill's entrepreneurship um, uh sort of club foundation it's they bring a bunch of old entrepreneurs in to mentor kids and do a startup competition and the thing that struck me was just how many kids at mcgill were interested in in doing a startup and uh, the professor who was behind this is an old friend of mine and i said you know when when i was at mcgill in the 80s um everybody especially in business wanted to become an investment banker on wall street get my undergrad, become an analyst, come back somewhere at a big school, get an MBA and then become an investment banker, make a small fortune and then retire by the time you're 40 was the plan. Uh, by the time Dobson was up and running, it struck me that nobody wanted to be an investment banker. Societally, I think that's a wonderful thing, by the way. Uh, but the, 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 the trend towards kids who wanted to do rather than shuffle money around, I, I think was very heartening. And I think that's a trend that started at least 10 years ago, if not more. I saw it 10 years ago. It might have been going on for a while. Um, and I, I think, and it's not all. I mean, kids who want to be an engineer want to be engineers. And kids who want to go into teaching want to go into teaching. But the ones who had the previous business focus rather than, you know, being more siloed, I guess is the word, are, are more um, broadly educated in a lot of things. And when they go into startup, they start understanding the capital, raising the capital employment uh, process. And you start to understand if, if you want to create true wealth, taking a risk and investing your money um, and and reaping the rewards of a success is, is the way to create true wealth and to create true value for society. And that trend, I think, is there, especially with the business school kids. And I should mention the Dobson competition at McGill actually gets way more uh, projects from outside of the business school than they do from business school. So it, it, it is a university-wide trend. It is a university-wide trend. Interesting. And 
if I'm a startup founder and I have a really great product and I'm struggling to identify or I'm struggling to find out where I can uh, meet and speak with investors, what would your advice be to me? You know, where would you tell me to look? How would you tell me to reach out to these people? Well, thank your lucky stars you're doing it today because 20 years ago, it was good luck. Pick up the white pages. They still existed back then and start dialing for dollars. But now, even in Montreal, which is a bit of a backwater compared to obviously the Valley in that, uh, there is there is quite a bit of a startup uh, ecosystem. So um, there are all kinds of uh, projects like Founders Fuel with space at the Notman House. There are uh, all kinds of conferences uh, where they bring investors, uh, angels, VCs uh, together. Um, and, you know, if you go through the trend of some of the successes, like some of the, the, the uh, uh, tandem launch successes, uh, I also was associated with Sport Logic. The first time I met their CEO, Craig Button, was at the uh, uh, Dobson Cup, not with Sports Logic, with a tea company who was running at the time. And, you know, Craig's an awesome guy. And one of the things he does is he's a great study. So he figured out every way to get in front of an investor you could possibly imagine, including the Dobson Cup. Uh, nowadays, it's a lot easier because there's a, there, there's a much better published ecosystem. But if if I've got my great idea, first of all, understand what you are. You're not a Series A, so there's certain events that are not for you. But there are angel groups all over the place and they're growing like mushrooms. Um, uh, so get yourself in front of every single angel group you can you can think of. A lot of the better ones attend all of the big events, uh, you know, uh, from the expensive ones like CC2 to uh, the Founder Fuel events to uh, CBCA. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't take much of a search to find to be able to fill your calendar with people to meet. And then make sure your deck is polished and your idea, which means your idea is well explained. And again, there's tons of resources nowadays. So if, if anybody wants to go on the, the Tactical website, we actually provide a standard deck uh, that all VCs uh, are looking for. It, it's a compendium of several standard decks of people like Sequoia and that. And, you know, once you put your idea into a concise format, then start pitching. And I'll warn you now, if you don't like begging for money, startup is not for you. Um, you will spend all of your time raising money. You will be uh, making the pitch hundreds of times, literally hundreds of times. My, my partner just raised money for one of our ventures, a company called Milo, where he got to the point where he would say, okay, just give me a number and I'll, I'll, I'll explain that page of the deck. Or would you like me to do the deck backwards? <laughs> so it, it's, it's what startup CEOs do is raise money all the time. So uh, it's like any other problem you'd look at, you know, find every single person that's involved in every community and every group. And the good news is there's a lot of them and there's a lot of advice. Uh, one of the things that a Dobson is they're always surprised when you go through Dobson, you'll often get paired with a mentor and they're always saying, well, why would the CEO of a successful company spend time? You'll be surprised at how many successful CEOs are actually willing to share a little bit of time, a little bit of advice to the kid that's in the, the position they were 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's that it's that social side. It's like I see myself in you. If somebody just gave me this piece of advice. I would have, I could have had a hell of a lot easier time. Um, so let's whip out our, your crystal ball here, Rick. What do you see on the horizon for the next two to three years? Um, I, again, I'm fond of saying I have predicted five of the la- uh, fourteen of the last five recessions. So. I am, I'm a very negative guy. Uh, and, and my view on that is I would rather be negative and wrong than 
positive and wrong because there's one of those costs you a lot more money and that comes from my you know early biases because i got beat up as a very young man um but uh the big market i i really think we're headed for a bit of a depression uh not a recession a depression uh we're going to see unemployment spike over 20 percent this year those are numbers we haven't seen since the great depression and you know there are people that'll have are, are probably struggling to pay rent right now which is is a real shame for society and there's going to be some real hurt coming out of that i i'm not so sure COVID is, is solved by a long shot uh when they talk about returning to normal uh, i think the normal that's being described is far from what you and i would consider to be normal um and that, that might persist for a while which means there could be a knock-on effect um, now uh, that as I've repeated a couple of times, I don't think that means your startup is done and there's no hope for you. Um, I, I think that means the bad ideas will get kicked out quickly and, and the poor leaders will fail faster. The good ideas led by smart entrepreneurs, uh, that are excellent leaders of teams will still succeed. You're just going to have to plan to have your runways, runways go farther on less money. Um, you know, make sure, uh, and you might have to deal with a lower valuation. Uh, and, and that just means pull out your pencil and, and sharpen it and, and really critically evaluate your idea. If it, if it won't survive, uh, you know, a little bit of pressure testing, maybe it wasn't that great an idea to start with. Um, yeah. Survival of the fittest. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and last question for you, Rick. Do you have any projects, opportunities, or insights that, generally speaking, you'd like to share with the community? What do you think is the most important thing um, anybody listening to this podcast, whether they want to be a startup founder, they work in tech, uh, or they're an investor like yourself, you know, what's the one piece of advice that Rick would give to you? Uh, take heart. I mean, you're, you're, you're talking to an extreme pessimist that, that will still say the world has been through, believe it or not, bigger crises than this, and uh, something will come out on the other side. It just changes your timing, um, you know, and take heart and keep that in mind that uh, there, there will be positive days and, and there will be days where we're not facing uh, massive unemployment. Uh, being an optimist as a startup uh, entrepreneur is key. Uh, you have to believe in your project. Uh, you have to have a certain level of perseverance. Uh, you know, this is a big test for anybody, uh, but uh, make sure you stay positive. Certainly stay positive in front of your team. Uh, they're, they're looking to you uh, to not panic, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, to, to steal it from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, don't panic. It's your new watchword. <laughs> On the next episode of The Launch, Alex and Farhad, the founders of Notice, explain how their technology taps into animal instinct to make the aerospace industry more efficient. So we're using, basically solving one of the really long-lasting issues in the aerospace, or like uh, fights that they've been fighting, in a very novel way by bringing you know, AI and you know, kind of human and animal intuition into the, the, the solving the problem. 